0: Welcome to Technovation, I'm your host, Peter High. Our broadcast today features a conversation from our most recent Metastrategy Digital Symposium with Jim McKelvey. Jim is a co-founder of Square, a financial services and digital payments company. Although he no longer has an executive role at the company, he continues to serve Square as a director. He began his career as an artist owning a glassblowing studio and founded a number of companies in software, book printing, and roofing. Most recently, Jim founded a company called Invisibly, which is focused on giving people control over their identities and data online. In this interview, we discuss the beginnings of Jim's career and how his early experiences inspired the genesis of Square. He shares a couple of key strategies that he pursued to compete with large players like Amazon and how this led to the ideas behind his book, The Innovation Stack, Building an Unbeatable Business One Crazy Idea at a Time. Finally, Jim gives an overview of Visibly's business, and he offers his perspective on the problems with the business models of some of the leading platforms today, among a variety of other topics. Jim McKelvey, welcome. We're so pleased to have you with us today. Thank you, Peter.
1: Great and, and are, Peter. You,
2: are you joining from St. Louis? I'm in New York City today.
0: In New York City today. Well, excellent, I know that yeah. you are often at least uh, uh, back in your hometown of St. Saint, Saint Louis uh, and do a, do a lot of things there. Yeah. yeah, got it. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Cisco, and the company's chief information officer, Jackie Guchalar. As we enter a time of hybrid work environments, Jackie wanted to take a moment to share how companies can stay ahead of this emerging trend and make informed decisions on the future of work. Jackie, over to you.
1: Hi, this is Jackie Guchalar, SVP and CIO of Cisco. Today, we're at a unique time in history with the ability to redefine work. Work is no longer where you go, it's what you do and how you do it. And it is powered by the convergence of people, technology, and places. It's permanently reshaping expectations of both employees and employers alike. To navigate this changing landscape, Cisco's Hybrid Work Index can help you make informed decisions by providing global insights on people's preferences habits and technology use in the era of hybrid work it's based on millions of global data points and insights to help you win the war for talent accelerate your innovation and enhance business safety and security search cisco hybrid work index to learn more
0: thanks jackie and now on to our broadcast well, good, I, I, I want to talk a little bit about the Genesis story of, of Square. Uh, I knew a little bit about it, but you tell the story in, in such remarkable detail uh, in your book about how you lost a sale uh, as part of your your your, your art studio um, because you didn't accept American Express cards. And like a lot of entrepreneurial journeys, it began with that frustration, a recognition that something was awry. There was a solution uh, in th- there was a problem rather, in need of a solution. Can you can you give sort of the thumbnail sketch of uh, that that inis- that insight that led to the creation of Square, please?
2: Sure. So I was quasi retired. Um, I had been a glass artist uh, earlier, and uh, and then I started a couple of companies that were successful, and then I kind of went back to being a glass artist. And around that time uh, was the first time they kicked Jack out of Twitter. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we're both from St. Louis. He came back home. It was uh, the holidays, actually, about this time uh, back in two thousand eight. So uh, Jack was home and, uh, we were talking and he actually asked me if I wanted to start a company with him. And I was kind of getting bored of being an artist full-time. So I was like, yeah, sure. What do you want to do? And he's like, I don't know. What do you want to do? But we were brainstorming for ideas. Uh, and I went back to St. Louis. I, w- I was out in California working with Jack, went back to St. Louis to my art studio, uh, to sort of put everything right, because I was planning to move out to San Francisco. And, uh, A lady called and she wanted to order this piece of glass that had literally been sitting on the shelf for years. I mean, it was, and it was hideous. I mean, it was, it was this terrible piece of work that I made, but I didn't want to admit it. Uh, so I actually put a high price tag on it and this lady wanted to buy this thing. and I was so excited to get rid of it. um, until I found out that only she, she only had an American express card and we couldn't take Amex at the studio. And so I lost this sale and I was pissed. And um, Jack and I had been thinking about other ideas for for companies. And the only thing we decided was that, you know, this should be the focus because the iPhone had just come out. We thought mobile was going to be a big deal. So we wanted a company that was sort of mobile focused. But when I realized that this device couldn't handle a credit card payment, uh, that's what gave me the idea for Square. Because, Peter, my attitude towards technology, especially my mobile device, is that it becomes whatever I want. So it turns into a TV screen or uh, a book or it turns into a G- GPS I've been mean, like this 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 the purpose of this device is to magically transform itself into whatever I need you know it turns into a flashlight you know um, and it wouldn't back in two thousand and eight it wouldn't turn into a credit card machine and I was like, oh, I want to turn it into a credit card machine for me so um i I called Jack and I said, hey I think uh, I think I know what I Want to do with this company i want to build something so that i can get paid and that was the the genesis of square what we didn't realize at the time was what we were doing was so far out of the norm of the financial systems that we would end up having to invent 14 different things in order to get the system to finally work that, that is that's a, a fascinating story another thing you tell
0: a great set of stories you tell in the book is the degree to which amazon was a primary uh foe during the early stages of of the company. I, I hadn't really uh, pieced that together. It's one of those things that becomes obvious once the story is told. And Amazon has a pretty good batting average when it comes uh, to defeating competitors who are in its sights. Uh, in brief, there are several topics I want to cover in addition to this. But in brief, talk a little bit about some of the key strategies
2: you pursued in taking them on. Uh, I think our primary strategy was denial. <laughs> um, so we, when we were a startup, Amazon decided that they wanted to take our market. And when Amazon does that to a startup, what they do is they copy your product, they undercut your price because they could afford to take losses for years, and then they just watch you die. And that worked up until Square. It worked 100% of the time. So we looked around for other companies that we could copy and possibly respond to Amazon, and there were none. So We looked at all the stuff that we could do differently to respond to Amazon, and about the only thing we thought we could do was to match them on price, but since their price was lower than our costs, we thought, well, that's insane. So we didn't do that. So literally, we did nothing. Um, And I say it was a state of denial. It wasn't like we didn't know that Amazon was coming after us. It's just that we didn't know anything we could do differently, so we just kept going and effectively ignored the world's most dangerous company. Um, And then a miracle happened, which was uh, a year later, Amazon quit, they gave up. And and when they gave up, not only did they quit, but they actually actually mailed one of these little square readers uh, to their soon to be former clients. And it, it was amazing to me because first of all, it never happened. Secondly, we were surprised because we hadn't actually done anything, or we hadn't done anything differently. So that's what actually led me to the book, which was I spent the better part of two years trying to explain what happened, and I couldn't just write it off to luck, and I know we hadn't hadn't done anything differently, so I was like, well, what, what worked? And so um, I actually studied history and looked back over the last several hundred years, and it turns out that there are a lot of examples of the same phenomenon happening throughout time, and in each case, the company builds something that I call an innovation stack. It's just this term for lots of little inventions that sort of uh, that that sort of work with each other. But more interestingly, I noticed that in every case, these companies ended up dominating their markets. In almost every case, they became the biggest in the world, or at least in their niche. And um, I mean, I, I I hope Square is no exception. We're doing pretty well, and um, and, and you know, no signs of stopping. So I think there's, there's an energy here that is unique and very, very powerful. And if you can find one of these companies or if you can harness some of this energy, um, what happens is the mathematics of competition changes. And that's kind of what I discuss in the book. In other words, most of the stuff you're taught in business school and most of the stuff that you're taught just like as a human growing up is a strategy for competition i.e. you have this group of people who are doing similar things and you have to respond to those people and you're in a competitive environment. Um, If you build an innovation stack, you're not in a competitive environment. You're in this different world where the physics change and pricing changes and strategy changes and how you build teams and manage change and and all these things are different. And I saw these parallels with, with companies across the world and across time, and I was like, oh, I got to write this down. So that's that's how the book came to be. Got it. Jim, I want to fast forward to 2016. You
0: founded a company uh, called Invisibly, which is an artificial intelligence, speaking of AI, AI-driven, people-first content platform powered by an algorithm that you design yourself in simple steps. I'm quoting uh, how you describe the company. And it empowers users to learn about take control of and earn money from their personal data. Your point is that we as uh, you know as citizens let let companies use our valuable data for free and the thanks we get is often that it's not used very responsibly. Uh, expand on this
2: thesis a little bit and highlight if you would how it works. So um uh, well so first of all it doesn't work right yet. We're mm-hmm. still figuring out the it works part. It it parts of it work really well, but overall I would say the invisibly experience is still pretty mediocre. So we're working on that, and we've been working on it for years. Um, but I think we can get it, because at the core of what we're doing is putting the person in, back in charge. And if you know anything about how platforms make money, what they do is they offer you something for free, and then they get your attention, and then they take that attention and they essentially sell it to advertisers. And that's you know how Google makes money, it's how Facebook makes money. It's it's sort of the model. The problem with this is twofold. One is that the uh, the the economics of that flow are uh, very inefficient for the people who make the content. So I'm talking now about journalists, artists, creators, the people who actually make the stuff that you consume uh, get about 20% of the money and the platforms get 80% of the money. And that's just not enough to sustain good journalism. It's not enough to sustain good content at at, at scale. Uh, And this is a recent occurrence. Like for hundreds of years, this was not the problem, but now it's the problem. And now we have these these sort of middlemen who profit sort of unduly from our attention. The second problem, which is a more significant one for individuals, is that you're being monetized in ways that are many times adverse to your interests. So for instance, um, if I want you to stay engaged on Facebook, Peter, one of the best ways I can do this, and Facebook knows it, is to piss you off. OK, so what I'll do is I'll, I'll I'll watch you for the first 15 minutes and you're doing all right. And then it, at, at you know, 17 minutes, I'll say, wow, I think he's about to leave. So I'm going to show him this thing that I've been saving that's really going to anger him and get him to spend another seven minutes. Now, the, the bonus, the, the win for Facebook is they got another seven minutes of your attention that they can sell off to advertisers. The problem for you is that now your blood is boiling and you're pissed off and you're your net experience has been compromised but in Facebook's case they're happy and and this is the trade-off that we make um, when we don't control how our attention is bought and sold so invisibly is an attempt to allow the the person whose attention it is to explicitly control how they buy and sell their eyeballs so you're going to you're going to sell your attention when you watch an ad you're going to buy Content when you watch something or read something, um, we just want you to have more control over that process. And the thought is that if we give you that control, the world's a better place. And and you mentioned it's not yet
0: uh, ready for prime time; still in ev- evolution. Uh, how soon do you? It sounds like you've made some progress, such that you're g- gaining greater confidence that, that you'll be able to accomplish your mission here.
2: How how long before you think it's sort of a fine uh, fine-tuned machine? Oh, my God. Ask a guy in software when the product's actually going to be ready. <laughs> I'm hoping that we will have two products in early 2022 that will be transformative. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first is going to be something that everyone takes for granted and thinks is free, which is news. Um, and the, the world, the, 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 the product that we're building here is just we're taking the corpus of English based news, which we have relationships with all the publishers. Um, We're collecting it together, it's about 5,000 articles a day, and we're allowing you to create a series of filters that allow you to browse that news, never hit a paywall, instant access, and surface the articles that you care about. And that's really the key to the thing. If we can get this right, then then it's a news feed that that suits you, as opposed to suits CNN or suits the New York Times or suits, you know, whomever is supplying you that news. So we're going to give you that control. That's product one. Um, Product two is a little more ambitious. We actually have a relationship with all these publishers and these people who build the technology that the publishers use to put up the paywalls. So, I mean, I know we've all had this experience. You want to read something great and all of a sudden, whoop, there you go. Yeah, you know, you you, you get blocked by a paywall. Um, And nobody's going to maintain 50 subscriptions. So these companies with a paywall, they're all trying to get you to ultimately subscribe, but you're not going to do it at scale. So what we're going to do is offer a universal subscription where um, you pay either with your attention or with money, Whatever's, you know, whatever floats your boat, I'll pay you 10 cents to watch an ad or you can give me 10 cents. I don't care where the money comes from. But um, we're going to take that 10 cents and so we're going to use it as a way of bypassing every paywall. So it's this universal subscription to everything, but it's not a subscription in the sense of Netflix or all you can eat, it's actually pay as you go. So consume a lot, pay a lot, consume a little, pay a little, but really in a frictionless way. So that's our second product, hoping hoping that's gonna be out uh, next summer. That's
0: wonderful. Well, Jim McKelvey, thank you so much for joining us this morning. What a fascinating entrepreneurial journey you've you have uh, taken and appreciate you sharing some insights from across multiple of the stops. For those who are interested, as I think you should be in delving a little bit more deeply, again, his book is The Innovation Stack, definitely worth a read, I can tell you. Uh, Jim, thank you again for your time today. Thanks, Peter. I'll see you later. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much.